Thanks for joining us here today at Victory Church, where we invite people to belong before they believe. If you want to know more about who we are and what we do, or if any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us in giving to this ministry, we invite you to do so by visiting our website at victory.church. Now, let's check out this week's message from our lead pastor, John Chesty. Those of you watching online, we welcome you. We're honored that you're taking time uh, to join us. Many of you are still traveling as your summer comes to a close. So thanks for joining us. Many of you are uh, out of state, out of country that are watching us. Thank you for joining us. We're honored that you would call this your church home. Uh, we love you. We thank you that you're here today. Uh, I'm excited to be back. Thank you for your patience as, as I took a, a writing break and, and I've written uh, pretty much a, a book, I wrote a whole book uh, in July that I'll be deciding what to do with that uh, in the coming months. So thank you for, for your grace. Um, but we had great communicators. We had great preachers every single week. So I pray that you had a good summer. Uh, summer is coming to a close and we're starting a new season today. So we're excited about starting a new season. I wish I could tell you that we're starting a new season literally too, so that 145 degree temperatures would go away but I don't have any control over that one. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Timothy chapter four. That's where we're gonna get to in just a few minutes. While you, while you turn there, a couple quick things that I wanna touch on before, before I get into the message today. One, uh, here at Victor Church, we have kind of a, a matriarch, kind of a, a mama. We, call, we actually call her Mama Lou. How many of you know who Mama Lou is? Anybody know who Mama Lou is? So you, if, you, if you're new to Victor Church or you attend the 11 all the time, you may have never met Mama Lou. She sits on the front row at the nine o'clock. Uh, she actually fell a couple of weeks ago and broke her neck. Uh, Mama Lou's in her late 80s. Um, and so it's funny, I went to the hospital and I was talking to her and she was in a neck brace fixing to go to surgery. And I said, tell me about this, Mama Lou, what happened? She said, well, I fell down and I knew instantly that something was really wrong, but it was early in the morning, so I didn't want to wake up Ray, <laughs> her husband. So I just got up and I went back to bed and fell asleep. I'm like, What? You broke your neck and went back to bed. I am a sissy, oh my gosh. I can't even get a head cold without crying to my wife. And then she's like, then my alarm clock went off and I went in and I made some coffee and then I waited for Ray to get up and then I told Ray that I think I've had an accident and we need to go to the hospital. I'm like, oh my gosh. Okay, um, but she, she's just, she's so strong. Um, she, uh, she, said, she said, you know, John, she said, I just think God has told me to, to grow where I'm planted. And for now, he's got me planted at the hospital. I talked to her last night. She calls me last night after surgery and she's, she's crying. She's weeping. And I'm like, oh no, this is not good. Mama Lou's crying. Something's bad wrong. She's crying of joy. She goes, John, a, a nurse just left my room and she was on her knees weeping. I ministered to her all night. She said, God's just using me in such a profound way. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I told her, I said, Mama Lou, if I was there, I'm a pastor, but I'd probably be having a pity party. I'd be feeling sorry for myself. Mama Lou is like, she goes, God's using it for his purposes. So just be praying for Mama Lou. Uh, she'll be back on the front row dancing in no time. So Mama Lou, if you're watching, we love you. We're honored uh, that you're a part of this, this, this group, this family. Uh, secondly, one quick thing that's coming up that I wanna make you aware of. Um, I don't know if you know this statistically speaking, but over, uh, right around or over 40% of families and marriages are blend, or what are referred to as blended families, okay? Where a spouse have children from previous marriages, okay? So they become a blended family. And a lot of times there's not a lot of resources uh, for, for people that are, that are living a blended family and having to parent uh, stepchildren is very, can be very difficult. 
I, we, there's a ministry that, that we support, we love, they're dear friends of mine, and I just want to make you aware of them. They're, it's called Blended Kingdom Families. That's literally the name of their ministry, Blended Kingdom Families. And they're actually having a conference next month in September, okay? And so I want to make you aware of this. If you are a part of a blended family or you know someone who is, I'm actually speaking at this conference. Pastor Jimmy is speaking at it, several other speakers, but it's an amazing ministry. If you or someone you know has a blended family, okay? So you can go to this conference or you can just get involved with their ministry. Uh, you go to their website. It's called blendedkingdomfamilies.com, blendedkingdomfamilies.com. Dot com. So uh, the conference is coming up next month. It's actually in the DFW area. It's actually being held at the King's University, oddly enough. But if you or someone you know is interested in that, I encourage you um, to do that. So today we will start a new season, all right? A new season. Uh, if you're new to Victor Church, we don't call them series. We call them seasons uh, because we believe that the Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us as to when this season will be over. And so some seasons last a month, some seasons last three months. We just kind of preach on a topic until we feel like the Holy Spirit is shifting us off of it. And so I, I, I told you the passage to flip to in 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is Paul uh, writing to, to Timothy. And this is actually one of his last letters. Uh, not long after this, he would die. In fact, in, in part of his writings, he says, I'm being poured out like a drink, drink offering. This is kind of almost as if Paul is on his deathbed, in a sense, even though he's not literally on a deathbed. But not long after this, he, he would be martyred. And so we want to see what he's saying to not only in that time period, but looking to us and speaking to us thousands of years later. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 through 4. It says, I solemnly urge you, he's speaking to Timothy, in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. Now, verse 3 is where he really starts speaking prophetically. Verse 3, for a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching, and they will follow their own desire and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. Watch verse four. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. Now this letter was written somewhere around 64, 65 AD, um, and in it he says, a time is coming. Sometime in the future, he's prophesying that there's going to come a time, and I'm here to tell you that I believe that when he is saying a time is coming, we could read it as a time has arrived. Yes. A time has arrived when people will reject truth and follow myths. Now, I want to lean into this a little bit today, and the, the ironic thing or the really interesting thing is the day and age that we live in, is it's not that they're rejecting a certain truth. It's not just one particular truth. That, that would be, you know, a challenge in and of itself to reject one truth or one particular thing. But the challenging thing about this day and age that we live in, to, live in now is that not, not a certain truth is being re rejected. Truth. Just the fact that truth exists is being rejected. And people are beginning to chase after their own thoughts and their own truths. And, and the heart cry of this, gener this generation is live your truth. That truth has become this relative thing that whatever you think truth is and whatever you want your truth to be or the truth of your world to be, 
then you can just kind of live into that truth and, and, and live that truth. And everything in our society, everything in our world that culture wants to say is becoming fluid, which means it's just whatever, right? I know it's quiet in here. It's going to get more quiet. <laughs> but think about it. Gender is fluid. Sexuality is fluid. Religion is fluid. Whatever your religious beliefs are. Um, eternity is fluid. Why you're here is fluid. Everything has become fluid. Everything has become whatever you want it to be. It's interesting that in Scripture, Jesus, the disciples ask Jesus how we should pray. And Jesus kind of teaches them this prayer. And in part of this prayer, he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. Think about the, the, the sequence of this, on earth as it is in heaven. It's saying, so let earth become a reflection of what heaven is. Your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. Our culture is wanting to reverse this. And we want to say, our, our, our culture that we live in wants to say, instead of earth reflecting heaven, we think heaven should reflect earth. We, we think heaven should fall in line with what we think down here on earth. And we take truth and we've, we've twisted it and changed it to what we want it to be. And I don't know that sermons change the world, you know. I don't know that a sermon series is going to change the world. I don't even know that I remember what I preached last year, let alone if you do or not. But there are some things that I want to talk about during the series in a very healthy way because I just don't know that I can stay silent. So the things, the things that kind of we thought might have been common sense are no longer common sense. Um, I, want to, I want to introduce the season that we're going to be walking in, in, into for the course of the next several weeks. And the title of the, the series, the series and season that we'll be coming into is just simply called Uncommon Kingdom. Uncommon Kingdom. Because there are certain things about the kingdom of God that has been and always will be uncommon from the way the world looks at things. Um, in fact, Jesus said, the world might hate you, Right? So there's something as believers that we're called to be uncommon. We're called to be different. We think different. We act different. We talk different. We lead different. We do things differently. And a time is coming, and perhaps it's already arrived, where everything that you believe is uncommon. And I, and I think that it's going to become like, wow, what an encouraging sermon so far, John. Um, I really think that as we progress into the coming decades, for as long as the Lord tarries, um, in America, I actually think it's going to become more difficult to be a Christian. So what does this mean? Like, what do we do with this? If we're called to live an uncommon, uncommon life in an uncommon kingdom, what does that even mean? I just want to get super practical during this season. I want to talk about what does it mean to be a Christian in 2022? What does that even mean? Because if you ask anybody in America, most of the time, much of the time, it's coming less and less, but many of the times people are like, yeah, I'm a Christian. But what does that mean? Like, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to live a life in the kingdom of God? Can I do it in a common way? Can I look like everyone else? And Paul says in this passage that we read, 
Paul is instructing Timothy as a preacher, okay? So I feel like kind of in a way Paul's talking to me. It was like a convicting word for me to hear that Paul was talking to Timothy, but he was also talking 2,000 years in the future to Pastor John. And Paul instructs Timothy patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage the people with good teaching, all right? Now think about these three words, all right? Correct, nobody likes that. Rebuke. Oh, heck no. I don't like rebuke. Who wants to be rebuked? But then he throws in this third word, encourage. So there is a way that Christians can correct, rebuke, and simultaneously encourage. Now, the only way this is possible is through the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can do these three things at the same time, right? Only the Holy Spirit can correct you and rebuke you, and at the same time, you're like, man, that's a good word. I can't do that in and of myself. If I get up here and I, and I, and I preach my convictions to you and the Holy Spirit's not involved, every one of you are going to be like this. <clears throat> so what I'm asking the Holy Spirit to do during the season is to help us do this in an encouraging way. All right? So a, a couple of ground, work, ground rules for this season. All right? Then I'm going to bring you a word. A couple of ground rules for the season is what we wanna do is we wanna look and see what does it mean to be a Christian, like practically speaking. But what, what, what do we wanna do? We wanna be, remind, be reminded of what the kingdom of God is. So we're gonna look at the kingdom because there's tons of parables all through the New Testament where Jesus says the kingdom of God is like, and then tells a parable. So there's clear pictures of what the kingdom of God looks like all through scripture. So we wanna lean into those. We wanna talk about practical day-to-day ways of living a godly life in an ungodly world, all right? So we're gonna do this. A um, couple things we're not gonna do, all right? From, from, from this platform, and I pray that we won't do this as a church either. First thing we're not gonna do is we're not gonna bash the church. This church, any church, any denomination, anybody that's doing anything that we think may be doing it wrong, we're, that's just not what we're gonna do. Uh, w- the church is the bride of Christ, okay? And Jesus died for his bride. And if you come to me and start complaining to me about my wife, Michelle, me and you're going to throw down. I know my wife, Michelle's not perfect, right? But I married her imperfect. So think about Jesus. If we're the bride of Christ and we start bashing Jesus' bride, Jesus knew the church was jacked up when he died for it. And if we need a perfect church, then we're all going to have to leave. Okay? So we're not going to bash the church. The second thing we're not going to do is we're not gonna present truth in a way that makes people reject truth. We're not gonna present truth in a way that's gonna make people turn a blind eye to the Lord. The, the, the worst thing we could do is, this is where most Christians get this wrong, okay? We do the first two things Paul told us to do, we correct and we, we rebuke. We're really good at that, but we're really bad at encouraging. So we wanna present all of these truths and all the things that the, that the scriptures present to us and how to live a godly life, but we wanna do it in a really godly, loving, encouraging way, all right? So, so today I'm gonna to talk to you on the subject of the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Let's pray. Lord, we need you. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, we ask you, and we, in fact, we're bold enough to invite you whether we've been living for the Lord for 100 years or, or, or 100 seconds, we invite you to correct, rebuke, and encourage us, your people, in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. So a chapter before this, Paul 
um, is speaking about the end times. And when the end draws near, it's kind of giving another prophetic declaration. Let me show you this one. In, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, the, the, cha- the chapter before, in verse 1 through 7, he says, but mark this, there will, be t- there will be terrible times in the last days. And then he goes on to describe what he means by that. Here's what I mean by terrible times. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. I'm going to read that one again. Did you hear that, kids? Disobedient to their parents. <laughs> Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Watch verse 5. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And then Paul instructs have nothing to do with these people. Verse six, they, they are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins, are swayed by all kinds of evil desires. Now verse seven, he really throws down. Paul says, these people that he just described, all these people, this is what they do. They are always learning, but they're never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, spoken from an academician, I'm the president of a university and a seminary, so I feel like I can kind of say this. Um, this is the institution of higher education in our world. Always seeking to learn, but never finding the truth. Well, what does that mean? What does that even mean? What, what, what is truth? So what I, what I want to talk about today is that there is a truth. Okay, if you don't believe me, there is such a thing as truth. Uh, gravity would object if you're like, no, there is no truth, gravity would be like, really? Well, then let me push you out of this airplane and see if gravity is truth. Because gravity will teach you a lesson real quick that, wow, there are some things in this world that no matter what I think, it just is. And you might say, well, I can defy gravity. I can get on an airplane and lift and I defy gravity. Yeah, but eventually that plane's gonna run out of gas. And then gravity will be like, ha ha, told you. <laughs> So there, there are some truths. Truth is this thing that is there, whether we think it's there or not. So the truth is, um, you don't have a truth. There is just truth. There's just truth. So everything you believe, everything you believe, everything you think, every decision that you'll ever have to make, my question is, what is it grounded on? What's it grounded on? What is the foundation? We're all building something, right? We're all building a life, okay? You're building your marriage. You're building your career. You're building your business. You're building relationships. You're building whatever you're building. Your life is a construction project where you envision something and then you go to work to try to build that thing. My question to you is what is it grounded on? What is your marriage grounded on? What is your business grounded on? What is the truth that we can ground ourselves in? The way I want to do this today is I want to take you back um, in the Old Testament to a really fascinating story that will kind of drill home this idea of a foundation, all right? So this, this, this thing that Paul says when he says uh, they will reject truth and chase, chase after their own myths. What's inter- interesting about history is it just tends to repeat itself. So even though Timothy was projecting, I mean, I'm sorry, Paul, even though Paul was projecting a prophetic word into the future, oddly enough, this had already happened, rejecting the truth 
and chasing myths. It happened to the, Israel, the Israelites. They had begun to reject the truth of what God had established for them and the promises that God had established for them, and they begin to chase after other gods and chase after their own desires and chase after all these things. And what happens is God ends up exiling them from their promised land. They, exi- they are exiled from Jerusalem, from Israel, to Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar comes in and tears down the temples, tears down the important houses, tears down all of the structures, tears down the altar, destroys the foundation. And I wanna, I wanna lean into this today because what happens 70 years later is they're allowed to come back and rebuild what had been torn down, okay? So they had destroyed everything that had been built, but they came back to rebuild it. And this, is, this is where I wanna lean into today. I'm gonna show you three things in this text and we'll get out of here, all right? So Ezra, we're gonna go to the book of Ezra. If you wanna learn all about, this is part of what I've been writing about. My book is kind of uh, based around them coming back and rebuilding the temple from a leadership perspective. You can find it in the book of Ezra. It's in Haggai, it's in Zechariah. There's tons of really rich stuff in here. Today we're gonna look at Ezra, Ezra chapter three. This is them coming back to rebuild the temple. It says, when the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled together as one in Jerusalem. Then Joshua son of Josadak, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Shethel, and his associates, now watch this, they began to build the altar of God, of the God of Israel. Okay, so they, they're gonna build the altar. They got a lot of stuff to build. They're gonna build the temple, they're gonna build the foundation, they gotta restructure everything, they gotta do all of this stuff, but the first thing they build is the altar. All right, so jump down to verse six. It says, on, that, on the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord. Now watch this. Though the foundation of the Lord's temple had not yet been laid. Now think about this, all right? They haven't even built the foundation yet, and they've already built the altar, and they put it there. Now think about how weird this is. This is uncommon thinking. This is weird, all right? This would be like you are building a house, and your wife or your, comes to you and says, this is the stove I want. Everything is gonna be centered around the kitchen, and this is the stove, it's, it's, it's amazing, it's gas, and this is the one I want. And you say, okay, and then you go to the builder that's gonna build the house, you're like, okay, here's what we're gonna do. Uh, here's the stove my wife wants, and we're gonna put it up there first in the dirt, and then we're gonna build the house around it, all right? The builder's gonna be like, have you lost your mind? Why don't we just build the house and then bring the stove in? It can still be central. Point number one, if you're taking notes, keep the main thing the main thing. You're building your life. You're building your marriage. You're building your finances. You're building everything that you're trying to build in life. My advice to you that we can find in this, in the truth of scripture, is keep the main thing the main thing. They built the altar because that was why they were there in the first place. They only built the temple to house the altar. It wasn't about rebuilding the temple. It was about rebuilding the altar. My question to all of us is, what does your life center around? Everything in the temple was built around the altar. The altar was the central piece of the build. It was why they were there in the first place. And we have to keep the main thing, the main thing. Paul said his warning to Timothy was people will chase after their own desires, which means we will take our eye off the ball. We will take our eye off the whole reason we're on this earth anyways. The only thing where really truth is founded and grounded is in Jesus, we're gonna talk about that in just a little bit. So as we build our lives, as we build everything, we need to keep the main thing, the main thing. So let's go to verse three. Verse three says, 
Despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar, now this is interesting, on its foundation. Okay, well it just said that they hadn't built the foundation yet. So they rebuilt the altar, and then in verse two it says, even though they hadn't rebuilt the foundation yet. And then verse three is like, and they placed the altar on its foundation. Okay, so there's two foundations. There's two things. There's one foundation that they didn't have to build. There was a second foundation that they had to build. The foundation that they were gonna have to build was the one that would house the temple. And this is where the story gets interesting because they had a foundation that had been there all along. So point number two, if you're taking notes, as you build your life, build your thing on the right thing. There are things that you can build your life on that can be destroyed. And then there's other things that if you will build your life on it, it's indestructible. The foundation itself is indestructible. Let me show you this. So what happened, what, what is its foundation? One translation says they built the altar on the old foundation. So we need to kind of know what we're talking about here, okay? Because it was a foundation that the Babylonians couldn't destroy. So we got to go all the way back to the Old Testament. Some of you will be familiar with this story. I'll give you the context of it first, and then I'll read a couple of scriptures to you. Many of you know, if you've been in church, you may have heard the story of the time that David is going to build this altar. And he says, it's the threshing floor of Aranah. And he goes to the owner of, the, of this field. He goes to the owner of this threshing floor. And he says, let me purchase from you this, this floor of Aranah, the threshing floor, because I need to perform a sacrifice. And the owner of the field says, no, you're the king. Let me just give it to you. And this is, you might know this part. You've maybe seen this verse or heard this verse. And David says back to the person, I will not sacrifice that which costs me nothing. He says, it's got to cost me something if I'm going to sacrifice on it. Okay, so what had happened is David had kind of disobeyed the Lord. Uh, he had had a census in the land. He wasn't supposed to. The angel of the Lord comes and a plague comes upon the people. Okay, let me show you this. Um, in 2 Samuel chapter 24, this, the angel stopped it. In verse 16, it says, when the angel stretched out his hand to destroy Jerusalem, the Lord relented concerning the disaster and said to the angel who was afflicting the people, enough, withdraw your hand. The angel of the Lord was then at the threshing floor of Aranah. Okay? Uh, skip down to verse 18. Verse 18 says, on that day, Gad, the prophet, the prophet, went to David and said to him, go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aranah, the Jebusite. So David went up and the Lord had commanded through Ged. Now you're like, why? Why are we talking about threshing floors? What in the world are we talking about, John? One minute we're talking about truth and now we're talking about some weird rock and where are you going with this? This doesn't make sense. And this is where David says, I will not sacrifice on that which costs me nothing. Why is this important? So David purchases this field, builds an altar, the original altar on here to sacrifice that stops the plague. Now, why is this important? Okay, we gotta go all the way back to the very first temple. So we're talking about the rebuilding of the temple, but what about the first temple? The first temple was the one that Solomon built, okay? So watch this, 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse one. It says, Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father David. Watch, it was on the threshing floor of Aranah, the Jebusite the place provided by David, okay? So when, they, when the Babylonians come and destroy the first temple, 
they come back, Zerubbabel and Jeshua come back to rebuild the temple, and it says the very first thing they built was the altar. Why? Because they needed to keep the main thing, the main thing. And then they needed to put the main thing on the right thing. So they built the altar and placed it on its original foundation on the threshing floor of Aranah. What does this mean, John? Why, why are, this, is, this is weird. It's kind of interesting, but I don't know where you're going with this. The temple was destroyed. What they had built, the enemy came and destroyed it. But what you need to know is that there was one thing that the enemy couldn't destroy. He could destroy the temple. He could destroy the altar. He could even destroy the foundation. But the original foundation, it remained. And you may be in a season of life where you feel like your marriage is falling apart or your finances are falling apart or whatever it is. If we will build our life on truth and understand that there is truth. In fact, Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life in John chapter 14. There are certain things that when the enemy attacks your life, he can't destroy. There are some things they had to rebuild, but the truth of the foundation was not one of them. And I don't care how destroyed your life feels. I don't care what the enemy has attacked you in. I don't care what the enemy has torn you down. There still remains a foundation that you can rebuild your marriage on, you can rebuild your finances on, you can rebuild everything back upon it because it's the truth of scripture. It's the truth of who he is. Jesus said these words in Matthew chapter seven, verse 24. He says, these words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. Rain poured down, the river, the river flooded, the tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. But if you just use my words in a Bible study and don't work them into your life, you are like a stupid carpenter who built his house on the sandy beach. When a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. It's okay to build things. It's okay to build great things in your life, but make sure they're, they're on a foundation that never shifts, never shakes, never fails, no matter what the economy is doing, no matter what the world is doing, no matter what the stock market is doing, no matter what the government is doing, there is something that is unchanging, unshakable, undeniable, and it's the truth of our God, the truth of Jesus Christ. There are certain foundations that are not changeable. And if you're building your life on a foundation that's changeable, then your structure is destructible. The temple could be destroyed, the altar could be destroyed, the walls could be destroyed, but there was one thing that could not be destroyed. So let's, let's, let's keep going in verse three. Let me show you one more thing, we'll get out of here. Verse three, it says, despite their fear of the people around them, they built the altar. Okay, we read that a minute ago, but why does it say despite their fear? So, so Zerubbabel, Jeshua, all of the Lord's people had come back, all the priests are back. They start rebuilding the altar, but there was something happening there that caused them to fear because it says despite the fear of the peoples. 
They were afraid. What were they afraid of? Well, when Nebuchadnezzar came and destroyed all of it, uh, he instructed a remnant, it's called the remnant, to stay there. Some of the poor, some of the most impoverished people, they stayed there to kind of care for the vineyards and kind of make sure the whole place just didn't go to pot. So over the course of those 70 years, these are people who had convictions. These are people who wanted a sense of, of forgiveness. Their whole faith, everything that they had had was stripped away from them. And so they needed redemption. They needed peace. Really, they needed the thing that we all need. I don't care if you're a believer. I don't care if you believe in Jesus. I don't, I don't care what you believe in. Our humanity compels us to seek peace. It compels us to seek unity. It compels us to seek redemption and restoration, all the things that come from Jesus. And so what they started doing is the priests were gone. So legally in their religion, they were not supposed to do this, but they just made makeshift altars. They, they, they pieced it together the best they knew how to try to formulate some sort of truth that they could cling to, some sort of element of peace and restoration and hope that had seemed to have been lost and they didn't know how to rebuild it, so they just kind of constructed what they, owned, what they wanted to build, right? So then they come back to rebuild the temple and it says that, that all the priests, Zerubbabel, Jeshua, they knew truth. They knew that we gotta rebuild this thing the way it was originally intended. We're gonna come back in here and we're gonna build this thing the way that the Lord is instructing us to build it. But somebody had gone before them and tried their own version of it. And it says that they were afraid. There was a piece of them that were afraid to step up and say, that's not right. Let me show you how to rebuild this thing. And it says, despite their fear. And, 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 and I, I can kind of understand Zerubbabel and their, and their fear as a pastor, you know, I'm living in this world, we're all living in this world and you see things that you're just like, what? What are you talking about? But anybody that steps up to say anything gets canceled, gets destroyed. But there's a part of me that like, I can't just sit here anymore. There's a, there's a truth. There's something foundational here. There's something that we can build our lives upon that will sustain us and give us life to the full. And they're, they're wrestling with this tension and they come in and they have to show them how to rebuild it. It's an uncommon kingdom. We don't get to build it the way we think it should be built. If you're, if you're a Christian, we don't have the luxury of creating our own version. It's a sacrifice. It costs us something. We, we can't build, this is really the thought, is you, you can't build a common altar in an uncommon kingdom. What they tried to do was build something common, but it was on a holy site and it could not stand. So point number three, if you're taking notes, the main thing cannot be made a common thing. Can't be made a common thing. The truth that we try to craft and how we wanna take pieces of scripture and just apply them to certain areas that, that help me live the life that I want to live. It can't stand. It, it is, it's not sustainable. Truth cannot be adjusted to meet a personal lifestyle. 
if you really think about what truth is, um, to believe that there is truth of any kind means that I must surrender mine. So, so the real question that we all need to answer for ourselves, do you believe there is a truth? Do you believe that like gravity, there are some things that no matter how hard you try to change it, it is unshakable? And if we come to the conclusion that there are things in scripture that are foundational, and if we believe, I know this isn't a Bible, but if we believe that the Bible is unchanging, that it is true, that it is foundational, that this is truth, then it requires that I must deny what I think is truth. It's sacrifice. And I, it's gonna cost us something. And if, if your Christian walk is convenient, then I'm not sure you're walking the path that this Bible describes. It's uncommon. And please know, I'm, this is not a, I guess it is kind of a rebuke, but God rebuked me first in the way that I pastor. I don't have to stand before you in eternity and answer to you, but I will stand before him one day and make an account for what I preached. And we will do it with love. We will correct, we will rebuke, and we will encourage. And the truth of the matter is, is every single day, God reveals new truth to me. There, there, there will never come a day where you're like, okay, John, I got it, truth, got it. Every day is glory to glory. God is revealing something in me every day, a new truth, a new scripture that pops out of the page at me that you're like, oh my gosh, I've been an idiot for 43 years. This is a new truth. Oh my gosh. And so when we have those moments of conviction, it's okay. This is a loving God. If you feel shame, then it is not God. The Holy Spirit does not come to shame us. He comes to redeem us. So this is, this is a season that we're entering into, all right? This is not gonna be a, I'm gonna get up here every week and tell you I'm gonna rant. And if you don't believe what I believe, then you're going to hell. This, that's not what this is. This is gonna be a journey that I am challenging you to go on that we're gonna begin to seek truth. I don't care what YouTube says. I don't care what Instagram reels say. I don't care what the article says. I don't care what your rant is. I don't care what the legislature is. What does the Bible say? And this is gonna be my truth. I'm gonna follow this. This, um, this hill, this, this place, when they put the altar on its original foundation, let me just kind of paint something real quick and then we'll be done. So it's really cool, this threshing floor of Aranah. Many of you have either been to Israel, you've been to Jerusalem, or you've seen pictures. And if you see a picture of Jerusalem, nine times out of 10, you're gonna see this big, huge gold dome, the Temple Mount. And most people, in fact, most Christians don't even know what that is. They really don't. They just think it's some weird, you know, temple or something or, or church or something. Right under this gold dome is the threshing floor of Aranah. 
It is the place where David said, I will not sacrifice that which cost me nothing. And he purchased the threshing floor of Aranah. And it's a rock. I've been under it, and you can kind of go under it, and you can see the side of the mountain. Right now, the, 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 the Arabs, the Palestinians, own control of the top of the Temple Mount, so Jews are not allowed up there at all. You can't go in there at all if you're a Gentile or a, or, or a Jew, if you're a believer in the faith. Um, my dad got to go in there in the 80s. Like, he's been in there and seen the actual threshing floor of Aranah. So it's this place where Solomon built the very first altar. And then it's this place where Zerubbabel and them came back and they rebuilt the altar and put it on its foundation. But it's also the place in Genesis where Abraham raises his knife to kill his only son on Mount Moriah to sacrifice his only son. And it's in this place that the Lord stops him and says, because you feared the Lord, I'm gonna provide a ram for you in the thicket. Same place. Same place. And then it's the same place, Mount Moriah, the same set of hills where thousands of years later, Jesus would be crucified and raised from the dead. It's foundational. You can destroy the temple all you want to. That temple has been destroyed and built back so many times. Like the temple you go to see there now, the the structures, the walls, the the wailing wall, all of that. It's been rebuilt and torn down and rebuilt and torn down and rebuilt and torn down. But there is one thing that has remained that is unchanging. The foundation remains. This is Christ. Christ is the rock. He is the only thing that can sustain you, keep you, restore you, give you strength. Everything that you would ever need is found in Jesus. It's the truth. It's the truth. So in John, in John chapter 14, Jesus is kind of having this conversation with his disciples. And he's like, I'm going to a place, but I'm going to make you a house. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then I'm going to come back and get you. He's like, he's having this conversation with his disciples. And then he tells his disciples, he says, you know the way. You, you know the way. And Thomas, like Thomas, you know, doubting Thomas, he's always the guy, you know, him or Peter. And Thomas is like, no, we don't know the way. Like, will you send us a link, GPS? So we can, is it I-35 and take a left on second? Like, we don't know the way. What are you talking about, Jesus? You're like, you're telling us you're going to a place and then you tell us you know the way. No, I don't know the way. And this is the scripture where Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. There is truth whether you think there is or not. And his name is Jesus. His name's Jesus. So begin to seek truth from the right place. If I, if I told you, there's, there's proverbs that say that rubies, that, that wisdom is more precious than rubies. So imagine if I, if I told you, okay guys, we're gonna dismiss church in a second. In this church, somewhere here at the OKC campus, we have $40 million worth of rubies hidden. I promise you, it's somewhere here. And if you find it, you get to keep it. Some of y'all would be like, okie dokie, here we go. Kids, split up, you know. (laughs) We're not leaving here until we find this. We'll seek out riches, but we don't seek out truth. If I told you that there was truth, unequivocal, 
undeniable. Would you seek it out? Would you search for it the way you would search for rubies and gold and wealth? This is my challenge to you, that we seek truth. We seek truth in a world that denies it. It's a treasure. Come back next week, we're gonna talk about a treasure. And I'm gonna tell you what the key to the treasure is. Father, correct us, rebuke us, and encourage us. We receive correction. We receive rebuke. We receive encouragement today. God, I pray that your people would begin to become seekers of truth, that we would not find truth from the world and what the world is yelling, but we would find truth in what you're whispering. Thank you that you're whispering. Thank you that the key is right in front of us if we'll reach out and seek truth from you today. Thank you for joining us here today for this week's message. And here at Victory Church, we are called to equip people to live in His presence, move beyond ourselves, and be transformed. And this can only happen through your radical generosity, your serving, and your prayers. If this message or any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us by giving into this ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at victory.church give. Thank you again for joining us and have a great day.